0: Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is Lead Gen for Logistics with my friend Kara Brown. Guys, take a listen to this podcast. I talked to Kara Brown, who's the one of the founders of a company called Lead Coverage. And Lead Coverage gets leads for logistics companies. And Kara has been in this business a long time. She's got some very interesting stories. She's been part of some successful, very successful companies in the past. And then she started lead coverage and they are killing it. Their whole business is getting leads for logistics companies. So it used to be just, you know, we make some phone calls. We send a few emails and networking. But over at lead coverage, they have a whole philosophy. Kara was kind enough to share their philosophy. She talked about three three different funnels that they like to use. Not just the sales funnel, but like a nurturing funnel. and Uh, They really got this down to a science. She talked a lot about the importance of measuring and being able to prove an ROI on your investment in getting more sales leads. So very interesting guest, very knowledgeable guest. Check it out. I know you will like it. But before we get to the interview, I want to tell you how to save 40% on your small parcel shipping. You call Tusk Logistics. Tusk Logistics is a technology company that is connected All of these regional small parcel carriers, and you can save 40%. So if you're a warehousing company, does a lot of small parcel shipping. If you're an e-commerce company doing a lot of small parcel shipping, you can save 40%. These small parcel carriers, the regional ones, the smaller ones, they're not UPS, they're not FedEx, they're not the Postal Service, but they have better service than those companies oftentimes, and they can save you 40%. Tusk has got pre-negotiated rates with a lot of these top companies and then put them all together in a really easy to use software, very powerful software, 40% savings, better service. And on top of that, you have the Tusk team that does the day-to-day customer service. So there's no reason at all why you wouldn't move. You're going to get better service, better pricing, 40% savings. Absolutely can't lose. So talk to my friends over at Tusk Logistics, S-T-U-S-K, Tusklogistics.com. And there's a button there at the top that says get started, and you should do that. So, how's it going, carol Brown?
1: Living the dream. Thanks for having me, Joe.
0: I'm really glad to have you on my podcast. We had a few phone calls and we we're blathering on just now, but I'm excited because one of the keys to sales is lead gen. And I think that's some area that we all can learn more in logistics. Uh, I've done that business or tried to do that business, not to the, the level of success you guys have had over at your company, but I'm excited to talk to you and learn about what you guys are doing. So Kara, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today.
1: Yeah, happy to. I'm Kara Brown. I'm the CEO of Lead Coverage. I'm calling in from Atlanta, Georgia. You will notice I don't have a southern accent. I'm actually from Chicago. So transplant to the south, never leaving, very happy down here, but my Chicago roots run deep. So super happy to be here.
0: So what does Lead Coverage do?
1: Yeah, so we are very specific to supply chain. We only do work in supply chain. I actually had someone ask me last week, hey, Kara, this all sounds good. How do you treat supply chain companies different than your other clients? And I said, I'm sorry, I don't understand the question. What are you talking about? He was like, your other clients. I said, no, you don't understand, Like only supply chain. So we do analyst relations, public relations, demand gen, and lead gen only in supply chain. And that's what we do every day, all day.
0: So wait, you said three things you do. What's the first one?
1: Yep, analyst relations. So this is your relationship with Gartner, Forrester, Morningstar, we make sure that you get into the right magic quadrant. We actually help develop magic quadrants, which is really really fun. And, and so that's all analyst relations, and then public relations. Wait, what is, getting... is
0: what is uh, what is Gartner for those who don't follow? Yes,
1: that? for those that I'm, don't I'm know. afraid
0: to say the word. <laughs>
1: <laughs> don't hold it against me that we do this, right? Everyone, they're. Gartner is a polarizing force for sure, but Gartner is the big analyst shop in supply chain. So if you want to be put in the magic quadrant of 3PLs or visibility magic quadrant, right? Like there's all sorts of magic quadrants for supply chain. And in some industries, Forrester sort of leads this, but in supply chain specifically, Gartner is the leader. There are sort of second tier analyst firms that you can work with to get yourself sort of on the map make sure that someone is paying attention to you and and take a key takeaway, you don't actually have to pay Gartner to have Gartner recognize you as sort of an up and comer. So we help clients that work with us get in front of the right people at Gartner. It's all about relationships. We've been doing this for my partner will hair will Haraway, has been doing this for more than 20 years. So we get you in the right room help make sure Gartner knows who you are. And then you can either get on the Magic Quadrant, you can get in the cool vendors list, you can brief the analysts so they know who you are, and then potentially go to the Gartner show.
0: Yeah, and I've said this before on my podcast, is if I'm a big company and I have to go select a new transportation management system or a new 3PL, and I haven't done that in 20 years, and I now I say, okay, I need to get out, get a new TMS or maybe I go get a 3PL and they have a TMS. Who in the company knows that? Well, probably nobody. I mean, that's the problem you run into. And that's where Gartner or Forrester and some of these other companies are really great because they will give you some data data points, at least to begin with. You know, and you might say, okay, I'm going to talk to these 10 companies because they're on that list and they have been, at least been reviewed. And it might say great for a CPG, but not great for an industrial. Who knows, right? That's why I want those reporting, uh, those analysts out there, because let's face it, when you pick a 3PL, you haven't done it in a while. When you pick a software, you haven't done it in a while. And going one step further, the people and who adopt-
1: Right, I agree. you're getting married. Like you are marrying this software or this three PL. I mean, especially in contract logistics, if you're going to move all of your inventory to a to a whole, but that's how shop, it. Sh-
0: but that's how it should be. I say this all the time on my podcast. You're not dating. You're not engaged. You're married. <laughs> when, when the when the person you're dating s- casually says, "I don't feel good on Saturday," you're like, "Cool, I'll go with my friends," <laughs> right? If it's your if it's your wife
1: <laughs> Should we think of Gartner as the gate as the dating app for yes. supply chain? Maybe that's maybe that's their new tagline, Joe. Yes. is Gartner, yes. the dating app for supply chain. <laughs>
0: it, it's it's match.com for uh, the, the logistics <laughs> and freight world. They're
1: gonna love that.
0: <laughs> yeah, we need those. So that's the first thing you guys do is you work with yep. analysts or help me get on those analyst lists, or at least understand what I need to do because I imagine it's sometimes a process. Not just, oh, hey, just tell, a just tell them yeah. and they'll put us at the top of all their lists.
1: Yeah, it's always a process. It doesn't matter if, you're, if you've are if you been at this for 10 years or 60 years. It's always a process to talk to Gartner. It's very involved, customer testimonials and making sure that you have the right people on the briefings. It's It's just a really involved process. And nine times out of 10, supply chain companies, even the big ones, don't have someone on staff that is this human. Right. It's often delegated to like a VP of communications or like an internal comms person, but we have an actual expertise in this only in supply chain. So that's sort of number one for us. And I shouldn't say um, I shouldn't say number one. It's the it's the first of the philosophy. Right. So. Right. Analyst relations is very important to us, but public relations is just as important. And so this is getting you into supply and demand chain executive, inbound logistics, and not paid media. So not buying advertisements from them necessarily, although we do that too, but this is thought leadership content. So making sure that your executives are putting four to 800 words into supply and demand chain executive, inbound logistics, you know, supply chain dive, et cetera, material handling, things like that. So the public relations is important. We also do top tier PR. So this is Wall Street Journal, New York Times, CNBC. So uh, we don't promise the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, but we have the relationships that if you have news that is top tier worthy, we can we can make that happen for you. And then we take that content and turn it into demand gen content. And then we actually have a team that will make the first dial. So if we've done the AR work, the PR work, the demand gen work, and then we have a bunch of warm leads that we need to follow up on, our team can actually make the first dial and put those into your sales team's hands. And that's what we do. Very
0: nice. Very nice. I, I will say I every morning when I open up my email, I get just dozens of emails a, a week, dozens. Some And before manifest, hundreds from PR companies all saying, hey, talk to my person and It's gotten really tight in the last few years where it's at least related to my podcast.
1: (laughs) Well, that's good. (laughs) When I first
0: started, and and for a long time, I was like, how do they even know how to find me? How, How would they know, how do these people know where to find me? They're not in this business, but it seems as if we're having more and more companies seem to specialize in our business, and I no longer get, you know the pizza company in California that wants to be in my podcast. Although I do well, get good. that a lot of self, a <laughs> lot of self-help gurus want to be on my podcast and I'm a big, I love that self-help stuff, but not for my podcast.
1: So no, we are hyper specific to supply chain. So we will say no to clients really like retail manufacturing. I had someone ask me the other today. So when you're done with supply chain or you feel like you've tapped the market, are you going to go horizontal and do manufacturing? And I was like, Dude, it's a $2 trillion market. Like, I haven't even scratched the surface of this market. That's Let's so just true. stay where I am, right? Like, stay in my lane. It's so,
0: it's so true. Somebody said to me, um, it was a PR person um, not so long ago. They go, So you do three podcasts a week just on logistics and supply chain stuff? I go, Yeah, they go, And you're going to run out of topics. I go, When?
1: You clearly don't know the space. <laughs> yeah, go, exactly. What? When? I go, <laughs>
0: I could cut it down to just purchasing or just over the road transportation and never run out or a million chunks of our business. But Agreed. anyway, so the you said the getting back to it. The three things you guys are doing. First off, it's the analyst relations and then you do the you said AR and PR, so what's
1: yep. Public a, relations.
0: Public relations and then you mentioned the last one is lead gen. What is that?
1: Yep. So demand gen and lead gen, we sort of smush these two together in logistics, which is fine. So this is anything that touches your funnel. So imagine we are a HubSpot diamond shop. You could be on Salesforce, Marketo, it doesn't matter to us, but anything that touches the funnel. So this is inbound leads from paid media, inbound leads from trade shows, inbound leads from good folks like you that have, have our clients on their podcast, etc. and then watching them go through the funnel. When they hit the bottom of the funnel, and we've actually gone from sort of a stranger to no longer a stranger, what do we do with them then? And that's when the team can come in and make that first dial. So what's really cool about what we do is we only do this in supply chain. So the market making News is what's so important. Anyone can write a white paper. Anyone can host a series of webinars. But if you have market making news, like you have something that is specific to the marketplace, it's first party data, it's something really sexy, it's a it's a customer who's willing to speak on your behalf, etc., And you can take that and turn it into demand gen content, and then you can measure the value of that analyst and public relations work, which is huge. No one else is doing that in the space. There's a lot of folks making content. There's a lot of folks doing PR in our space. But we haven't run into anyone yet who can measure PR and AR against demand gen and eventual ROI like we can.
0: Yep. When we talked the other day, I think I mentioned I did a podcast with, you you know, Blythe.
1: Yeah, she's so great. I was just on her podcast.
0: Yeah. And she said something to me and I loved it. It was connecting the digital dots. And I think that's kind of what you were just getting at, which is we have people doing. And by the way, when I say people, that's me and probably most most companies out there when it comes to your sales and marketing is it's very there's silos and there's just chunks of islands, islands of information that never kind of get to the next island. And connecting all those digital dots is kind of what you need an agency for. Or, or hire internally, but you're going to have to... <laughs> the problem, I think, I've, with hiring internally sometimes is you put a sales guy at the top and then, and then he says, yeah, just hire a marketing person. And yeah. depending what his mindset is about what that marketing person does, it can, or where they came from, marketing for a long time was just...
1: Pretty pictures.
0: Yeah, it, it didn't have any substance to it. And sometimes you'd see a sales organization say marketing's job is to get me leads, get me leads. And they would say, it's because they didn't want to do prospecting. I get that. (laughs) They didn't want to make phone calls anymore. So we'll hire a marketer and they'll give us a whole bunch of stuff. And then, by the way, I can say I did this myself. I did a lot of webinars, which I'm all for. I love webinars. Not as much as I'll do podcasts at this point, but, and then I remember one of my bosses says, great, so 115 people signed up for for that webinar. How many are going to buy from us? like in the coming 60 days i go none (laughs) i go maybe one but i'm gonna go with none he's like then why are we doing this i was like well we're building a list and then we're gonna nurture that list and he's like what by calling them i was like oh i was thinking this is not gonna work out (laughs) it's not gonna work out because he wanted to call each and every one of them to buy from us today now because you came to our webinar
1: i actually don't think that's a terrible idea joe so it's worked for us
0: what works better in my mind is you find that the 10 people who you actually want to sell to and talk to them before the webinar send them a quick oh hey, agreed say, baby Kara, baby I s- all the way yeah i always would say hey Carrie, i noticed you signed up for my webinar what are you hoping to learn and every once in a while they just brain dump i had one guy i was doing a podcast how to select a 3pl i was managing a 3pl at that time so this was pretty uh <laughs> pretty good podcast and i remember i the guy just said i hate my 3pl blah 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 i've got to get rid of them they can't do this they don't have technology i was like go on <laughs> <laughs>
1: tell me more about all your problems yes so that i can tell you how i thought, yeah them. but
0: it wasn't a sales call at all because i was just trying to learn from and i didn't try and make it into a sales call and then like after the webinar he goes all right, this is a sales call. <laughs> I was like, "All right, <laughs> I'm I like you I'm it." Buying from you.
1: That's a very clear buying signal, Joe. Love that. Yes.
0: All right, so let's let's switch gears. Tell us me a little bit about you. Uh, where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started lead coverage.
1: Yeah, happy to. So I'm a Chicago girl, born and raised, Schaumburg, Illinois. I went to the University of Illinois at a poli sci degree. I thought I was going to go be a lawyer good news for me all my friends from undergrad are lawyers now which is awesome <laughs> but decided get a job j-o-b my second job out of college i was number 12 at echo global logistics and i actually oh, wow. yeah i actually watched doug wagner get hired it was kind of fun we had like glass offices and
0: i finally interviewed doug wagner
1: <laughs> you it was that. fantastic yes, I can't wait to, listen to it So was super fortunate. They clearly grew 3000% in three years, did an IPO in 2009. And they came over and said, Hey, we're not going to hire an expensive investor relations person. We're just going to, we're going to see if you can figure this out. And I was like, I got you boss. Like I'll do whatever I can to be, you know, part of the team. And I was that like young hustler girl that like, you can sort of throw anything, to I think she, you like, still are. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> and so I was super, super grateful for the opportunity to be part of that um, IPO team. So my name is actually on the IPO press release from 2009 for Echo. From there, I got picked up by OHL, which then became Geodis in Nashville.
0: Now, were, the, were those people from Echo? Which one? OHL. Where's OHL no. come from?
1: Super different. You know, I had done an IPO, so done is a strong word but i've been on that team and so I, I got picked up right they said hey come work for us and so i did so we moved to nashville and really great experience at the ohl team eventually after i left they were acquired by geodes wilson now just geodes and so you know did a really interesting stint there mostly contract logistics There's some really fun press stuff there too like they're in nashville so we taped uh we taped a. um a uh, music video in one of the warehouses, like (laughs) like random (laughs) stuff that was really fun, like Nashville based. And then back to Chicago to pop out kids, which was, you know, sort of life. Ah, stuff.
0: Very nice. Now, were you working in logistics at that point? Or had you moved into the marketing side?
1: When I had gone, well, so the whole time I've been in marketing, I really, besides a very short stint at Echo of like sort of being forced to make cold calls because it was everyone's job, I've really only done the marketing side of all things supply chain and logistics. But back in the day, we didn't have nearly the tools that we have now. So there was no HubSpot, right? We were making web pages on Dreamweaver and uploading crystal reports like I'm old so we were doing stuff sort of old school
0: I would also say that I don't think this industry knew what to do with marketing people I, I think yeah. they, they they were uh, just oh go go do marketing stuff and um I don't think there was always a sense because I know I've talked to people who work in marketing at different logistics companies and it just seemed like for a long time it was well I was selling and then they made me head of marketing or was the admin and now i'm head of marketing and i was like all right (laughs) give it a roll it was
1: a different experience because we were zero to one right there was nothing when i got there there was no website there were no sell sheets i mean this is still in the days of like printing out sell sheets and walking to the but this was an industry that did
0: a 100 phone calls a day
1: yeah for sure Oh, yeah, we had a boiler room full of twenty two year old boys. It was the greatest time of my life. There was a catwalk. I mean, a hallway down the (laughs) middle. (laughs) I was twenty two in the best shape of my life. I taught spin class in the basement. I mean, it was so it was it was the perfect sort of twenty something year old experience. And the men that led that company were very kind to let me in and be a part of some of what they were doing. And it was just an amazing experience. Plus, we were in the 600 West ecosystem. So, you know, the Eric Lefkoski and Brad were had started interworkings. They were starting Groupon. I got to send the first Groupon email, which is kind of random. They're they're
0: Wolverines, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Michigan boys. And so, like, it was was an environment and an ecosystem for someone like me with the presence that I have, just, like, the amount of energy that I have. They were like, you're awesome. We'll find something for you to do. We got this thing. We're going to, like... Actually, I went and I asked to get the job at Groupon. I said, "I'd really like to go work at Groupon," and uh, they were like, "Well, sure. Everyone wants to go do the cool new thing, but we're going to do an IPO for this company. And we need you to do that." And yeah. I was like, "I don't know <laughs> what that means, but I'm in. Like, let's go." So yeah, so the fo-
0: the founders of Groupon previously founded Echo, right?
1: Yeah. So Eric Eric Levkoski and Red Keywell are serial entrepreneurs. Now they're like serial investors.
0: Yeah, and they were. I think. The, fund the Forbes 400, probably, but I think they were smart enough to get Doug Wagner to come over and run the Echo for them. Yeah. That was a that was a masterstroke. Well, and yeah, it's it's interesting. I I, I think we're seeing a transition in this space from we, the only way we get sales is we make a hundred phone calls a day. And I would also say there's a lot of people who are my age and even younger who um, started brokerages. On their own because they were really good at making 100 phone calls a day and they said I can do this on my own and they did and the approach they said was we make 100 phone calls a day. I think it's only in the last decade that there's been any budging in that and I remember being at a company where we hired a, a marketing person and the owner said how many phone calls did she make today and I said well, I don't think she made any. I said that's not what we hired her for and I said She's a marketer. And then he said, Yeah, but how many phone calls is she going to make every day? I go, (laughs) You saw her job description. She wrote it for us. And then they ultimately parted ways because it was just such a foreign. And that's no criticism. I suspect that happened a lot of places where you hired somebody to develop a marketing and it doesn't happen fast enough because we wanted immediate results from that. And it felt like that was the way. Business was the, probably still is that way in a lot of freight brokerages, and I'm not thinking I'm picking on freight brokerages, but I don't think warehousing or transportation companies are much different. Or
1: technology companies.
0: I was just going to say, I thought the tech companies were different. I thought no they way, were the man. ones bringing the yes. You tell S- your VC
1: that you're going to close X number of deals, and you don't have a pipeline that's going to fill that, and it's a it's a that's a hard road road to like that's that's not easy, right? So I don't think you're I think you're right. I think smart executives are investing in the technology that has changed since I started at Echo in 2006, right? Like 25 years later, our ability to use technology to tell you exactly who is interested in your product at the moment they are researching your product or what you sell is astonishing. The ability to really leverage that data and put it in your sales team's hands at the right moment has changed the game. And smart executives are now investing in the tech and the team to use that tech that they need to get that edge, right? Especially in 2023. The only way to grow in 2023 is to take market share from somewhere else.
0: Gave me chills there. <laughs> so so anyway, I interrupted you. Tell us a little bit about, more about your career before you... So you were at OHL. Yep down in nashville then you came back to chicago had some kids
1: popped out some kids and then (laughs) then what then i moved to atlanta and took a job and when i left the job i heard the statistic that less than two percent of female founders will ever break a million dollars in revenue and i said okay hold my beer. Here we go. So I learned, I was like, that's enough for me, right? Chip on my shoulder. So we did that in about eight months with uh, an all-female team, actually, which was really fun. We now hire plenty of men, but at the time it was all women in supply chain. It was really fun. We can now see 10 million in revenue. That's a new goal for us. And it's just been such an amazing wild ride on the way. It's been awesome. Seeing all my friends from the back in the day be successful too. is was really fun.
0: Right. So what year did you guys start?
1: So technically, we started back in Atlanta in 20, the end of 2016, and then Will Haraway, my partner, had a had a company called Backbeat Marketing. So he was doing public relations for Supply Chain Only. I was doing sort of HubSpot marketing, demand gen work for Supply Chain, and then we were paying each other back and forth to like do work for our clients. <laughs> but this is really silly. Like neither one of us are big enough to like gobble the other up. Let's just become partners. So we did. So in 2019, we became like true partners to the marketplace. And now lead coverage is both of our groups together. So we're almost 30 strong. Sometimes some days it is 30, depending on the, depending, depending on.
0: Are you all in this in uh, office or are you one of those remote companies?
1: Yes, yeah, so we're 60%, about 60 to 70% in Atlanta. We're really trying hard to keep the team in Atlanta. It's just, it makes such a difference when you can just turn to someone in the office and solve a problem or ask a question. But we've got a bunch of folks that are Florida, North Carolina, et cetera. So it's really fun. I think
0: somehow uh, I was just talking to a friend of mine who was called me and was talking to me about a lot of buildings that were built with the idea that we wouldn't go remote. So if you built a building before the pandemic, you knew about remote work, but you weren't totally freaked out or you you wouldn't have built that building. Now we're kind of having to come to terms with that. And obviously if we're in a downturn right now, People are starting to say, what are we going to do? They can't all become nursery schools, right? <laughs> there has to be, we're going to have to figure that out. And one of the things I mentioned, I said, I think even though we are, a lot of companies remote, you still have to find a way to get together. It's either going to be once a, once a week, the team gets together, or once a month, we get together. I just talked to Charlie Safro. Uh, she's the one who recommended you be on my podcast. She took her team down to so Mexico. Mexico.
1: Every year she does this. or twi- I think the last two years she's done this. I know. I wish I could take my team to Mexico.
0: Yes. And <laughs> I
1: guess it is up to me. I probably could if I wanted to.
0: But she said we saved money on the building. And so this was the choice we made is we're going to spend this. And it's, it was just team build. No work. It wasn't like, hey, you got to come to f- um, four hours a day of, of meetings. But I think it was a way to get to know the team that is remote.
1: Yeah, we just had our whole team here in Atlanta, so we fly everyone in once a quarter. We do make them work when they come here, so it's not all Well, that fun. makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> I'm not quite as nice as Charlie, I don't think. But we work in the morning, and then we sort of play in the afternoon. So we had a great time. We took everyone to Top Golf last time we went to axe throwing, but we do it quarterly. So we make sure that the team gets face time with each other every quarter. And it's just, you're right, it's so important. I gave everyone a book this time, so we have a really fun picture of everyone holding up, everyone got a different book. So everyone held up their book and i wrote a little inscription for each person like why why this book for them and so we're small enough where we can still do that kind of stuff and it's it's great scaling is the goal obviously but there's a little bit of like like if i end up with 150 people like how am i going to give them all a book i'm not going to know exactly who they are right so we're still very much small company i don't like to use the word family because frankly you can't get rid of your family (laughs) like if you need to like change people around but a team most definitely a really strong team and 2023 looks great for us so i'm very proud
0: yeah and probably there's no not a lot of fighting and drinking at work like like a family functions right right
1: (laughs) (laughs) we don't want to be a dysfunctional family so we just say it's a team it's a team
0: it's interesting i mentioned to you before we hit record that i have a daughter who works at workday and they've created a really great culture there and she said they go they bend over backwards to create it but they're kind of spread out all over the place i'm sure they have a lot of people in offices but my daughter's never worked out of an office and she mostly you know visits clients or works from home and somehow some people do it but i think if you if you don't have a good culture when you have 30 people you're not going to have it when you have 300
1: amen joe (laughs) amen (laughs) amen so we're really proud the The retreat that we just had here in Atlanta, we had people literally in tears with how happy they are to work for us, which I can't tell you, 2022 was a really hard year. We was the great resignation. We got hit just like everyone else did and we're super small. So when you lose someone on a team of, you know, 20 or 30 folks, it hurts a lot more than a team of 200. And so it was such a relief as a business owner to have people be so happy, so happy to have a job and work for us and, you know, a delight.
0: So, I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about lead gen for logistics. I know we've touched on it, but not so long ago, I saw this. I think it was on Instagram, and it's had this guy, obviously, he probably competes against you. So, I say, It's okay. He said, All positive business results are downstream of good, warm leads. Sure. And, and I was like, Yeah. And what I've also say to people is, You have a sales problem, you have a revenue problem. And he goes, no, no, I have this problem, that problem. I go, yeah, but if you had more sales, you had more revenue, you can pay to solve those other problems. And so a lot of times you can just kind of boil everything down to, if you get more sales, if you get, you know, obviously the right clients, the right right revenue, but it solves a lot of problems. So you guys have a whole approach to doing this. And before we hit record, I said, well, I want to talk about a few things. You said, I have three things I want to talk about. So the first one was your philosophy. What is the what is the lead coverage philosophy about this?
1: Happy to share it with you. We believe the path to growth and revenue is paved with buying signals. So much like your friend, right? People imagine the Yellow Brick Road and at the end of the Yellow Brick Road is revenue. The Yellow Brick Road is made of buying signals. So HubSpot says that 95% of your buying market. So Hundred percent of your TAM, right? There's uh, that's 900- total addressable
0: market is yeah. What TAM thank
1: you. Means. Total addressable market. There are 19,677 shippers over 500 million in revenue, right? So let's call it 20,000 for easy math. Everyone's going after the same 20,000 logos, right? Essentially. So how do you get in front of those so wait? Ro-
0: there's 20,000, and how much? Do, what's the minimum spend on those guys?
1: 500 million in revenue right not transportation spend but 500 million in revenue this is our roundabout roundabout total addressable market math we can pull these from sales intel we can see them they're in Zoom info. so 500 you know million
0: in revenue means they might have quite a bit of shipping right yes 50 million maybe 25 million
1: 20 25 to 50 million if once you go below that the math gets really big because there's a lot there's a lot more shippers, right, that are below 50 million in transportation spend. But if you're a reasonably sized broker or a reasonably sized forwarder or you're a transportation management software company like you want the big guys, right? They have more complicated problems, deeper pocketbooks, better payment terms.
0: But if you're a little guy, if you're a little you, you might say I yeah, I would like that guy who spends 25 billion, but we're not we're not ready yet.
1: Sure. So the TAM for the under 500 million is in the hundreds of thousands. Yes, I don't yes, even yes, know the number. They're line. everywhere. They're everywhere, yeah. And like they also don't show up in the normal places. So if you start to go after SMB, like true small business, they don't show up on Sales Intel. They don't show up in Zoom Info. You have to go find them other places because the data for that, that data set is not as easy to find.
0: That's why a lot of people who might be transportational, just six people, freight brokers, are always pulling over and going, hey, what's that building? It looks like yeah. they've got a dock. I'm going <laughs> yeah, to exactly. write the address, uh, and then they take a picture of the front yeah. of the building. <laughs> <laughs> and they send it to someone and say, find
1: me, find me what this company is. They've got all these trucks coming I've done in that. for sure. I've done I've, that. Yeah, that is the oldest of the old school, Joe. I like that. So our philosophy is very simple. Share good news, track the interest of that good news, and follow up as quickly as possible. It sounds simple. It really is simple, right? So share good news is about your company, your business, the problems you solve, the customers you have. If you are interested in Gartner or Forrester, how you position yourselves against your competition. This is also executive thought leadership. So we have a program where our ghostwriters talk to the executives and then share that on LinkedIn. It's actually something that I do for myself. I'm happy to share the entire process. It's not, cabinet or anything. And then we share all of that good news. But all of that good news shared into the eco sort of system of supply chain, if you don't track who's actually interested in that news, it sort of goes into a black hole. And so this is what you were talking about earlier about sort of the old school marketing mentality is, so I hired this marketer, she's writing 12 blog posts a week, we've got all this content on our website, and I have no leads to show for it. And I was one of those executives. That was my whole job, right? Was to understand how do I have this content going out there and yet track it and make sure that I can see the value of that content. And the democratization of technology tools like HubSpot, Sixth Sense, Demand Base, Propensity, these amazing pieces of tech allow us to see hey, Tyson Foods has looked at Sawgrass, XPO, and I don't know. Geodis in the last 30 days they're looking for warehouse space those are clear buying signals so if i have a warehouse client i'm going to say to them hey tyson foods is looking for new warehouse space we don't know exactly where yeah we That's can incredible. get that granular it's amazing and it's all available it's all available we don't have any sort of like ip on this information you guys are
0: stalkers
1: oh it's the greatest stocking <laughs> stuff ever like it's so great even better If you can give me your list of top 100 customers or prospective customers. So you say to me, hey, Kara, these are the top 100 customers that I'm going to go get in 2023. We know these are very clearly in our ideal customer profile. We have some relationship, meaning that we are we know that we are not a stranger anymore. Right. So the beginning of the process, you're stranger, you're totally unknown. The middle of the process, you're more known. And we like nurture those folks once they make it through the funnel right? So we send them emails, they see white papers, they click on social posts, etc. And they're starting to understand what our client does. Then we follow up inside sales and Harvard did a study in 2017. It's a little dated. But 2017, this is relevant. Yeah, if you can follow up with a human within five minutes of them showing you a buying signal, you have a 900% better chance of closing that deal. So cold calls are not dead. We still believe that cold, that cold, not cold dials, but warm dials are relevant, right? Especially in logistics. People talk to each other. We're always picking up the phone in, in our space, right? People are used to it. So you make that phone call after someone has clicked on enough webinars or they've clicked on enough emails. They've shown you enough buying signals to say, I'm interested in what you're selling. Then the phone call's made. And that's what our team does.
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I've had this when I was doing some sales training and I was doing a lot of sales training, but I also did training like an ELD and this is a whole bunch of different things that I was involved in. Every once in a while, someone would send me an email saying, I would like some sales training. And I would respond, I'd get that email. I was like, cool. By the way, many times they didn't, they would write from a Gmail account. And I was like, God darn it. So I can't even look at their company. Could never find them on LinkedIn. I'm connected to everybody on LinkedIn. <laughs> and, and so then I would respond, Yeah, please give me a call. They wouldn't also put their phone number. And I was always shocked by the number of those deals that never came to fruition. And it makes makes your point here that there's a very good chance that you're going to win those if you can respond really quickly after. But people tend to get to the next problem really quickly. (laughs) So if you you don't... the people
1: that are like filling out the form. Once they've moved on from solving your problem, they're on to the next thing in their day. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I always say like, if you wait a day or two, it's dead. Yeah. It, and I, sometimes when I did it immediately, you're like, I did it. I responded like almost intense, instantaneous. Give me a call and the, nothing.
1: Well, so I did one. I, I follow this in my own business. I had a guy reach out on our website from a podcast interview, actually. So I did a podcast interview and it- guy listened to it, which is shocking to me. I didn't know that people actually listened to these things and then made phone calls, which is great. So I'll let you know if this happens after this podcast. Too. And so he filled out a form, put the wrong email address in the form. So I emailed him right away and it bounced back to me. So I literally picked up the phone and called him within five minutes of this form coming across my desk, picks up the phone. And I was like, Hey, it's Kara from Lee Carver. Just, he's like, I just filled that out. And I'm like, yeah, did you know? <laughs> That if you do this within five minutes and nine, so we are now currently in a process of bidding for this work. And so it's worked for me personally. Right. A lot of what we do, the executive thought leadership work that we do, posting to LinkedIn on a regular basis on behalf of our executives, making sure they have a point of view. The press release work that we do is all because we have been doing this for such a long time. It either works for us or it works for another Client or set of executives, I should say, in the supply chain space.
0: Yeah, I do know it works. I was just a manifest, and yeah, me too. I, I, you're you're one of the 3,500 people I did not see. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like next I feel time like, next year. <laughs> but that's the weird thing about it. I, I just talked to Courtney Muller. She's the president she over there. She did a great job. She yeah, she did. It. And I talked to her the other day, and she goes, it's "The first thing she said, like, I can't believe we didn't meet." I go, "I know," and. I said, it was fantastic. Went by in a blur. But anyway, I did talk to a lot of people who've been on my podcast. And I asked them, when you're on the podcast, did you get anything from that? And uh, Thomas Deakins was just on my podcast. He goes, yes, Joe, I got business from it. And I was like, good, good. And the reason I ask is because sometimes somebody might listen and go, oh, I really like, I really like Kara Brown. She's really knowledgeable. I like her energy. I like what they're. I, she solves the problem I have and then not follow up. And And I always think, hopefully, somewhere down the line, you, all of that all of that goodwill when somebody says, I do need a marketing company, they go, oh, yeah, 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 I did talk. I was listening to a podcast a while back. I wrote the name down. Or I remember the company.
1: Podcasts That's are really hard hold. to measure, Joe. I'm not going to lie. It to. is.
0: It, it's Podcasts impossible. Podcasts are
1: super hard to measure. I will share with you the same thing I shared on Blythe's podcast, which is I like the idea of a limited series. So you are a podcaster. This is your job. You do this every day, all day, right? You have the ability to produce these quickly, et cetera. My clients don't, right? Like they don't have a podcast studio in their office. They don't do this for, you know, but a series of three to five hyper-specific limited series podcast episodes could be phenomenal, right? Like there could be a really good return on investment for doing that because you're going to ask a partner to come on with you, maybe a customer to come on with you, talk about a very specific piece of content, and then share that widely, much like you would a webinar, but I think we're all a little webinared out. Like I don't want to get on another webinar, but I might listen to a, a, a limited series podcast I like the idea that um, the New York Times did this, was 1619. And it's one of the highest rated podcasts of 2022, I think it was. Early, early 2022, they did the limited series on 1619. And it's just, it blew out all of the expectations for podcasts. So, big fan.
0: Yeah. And um, I, I would suggest that that's not a bad idea to do the limited. If you want to do something on your own, you want to do it limited. And the reason I say that is... I started the podcast when I was still doing a lot of consulting, doing a lot of other work, and it was challenging. It was really challenging to find the time. You're in Mexico on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, trying to interview people on Thursday and Friday. Uh, Just hard. Anyway, you started to mention Funnel. So we just talked a little bit about your philosophy. So put that in two or three bullet points for me.
1: Yeah, sure. So the philosophy is really simple. Share good news, track interest, follow up. Our preferred tool is HubSpot, but you can do it in Salesforce and Marketo. But and
0: you'll, you'll work in all those too, right?
1: Yeah. Like we're tech agnostic, but the, the HubSpot ecosystem for the for the mid-market in the supply chain, it's just easy. It's cheap. It's easy. It's easily movable too. So like if you start on HubSpot and you get to a point where you're like, man, I really need something more. We can move it from HubSpot to Salesforce pretty easily. But so those are the big three. Share good news, track interest, follow up.
0: Yep. So the, you have a f- interesting philosophy about funnels. Tell us I a do. little bit about your funnel. And it's not just one funnel with you, is it?
1: It's not one funnel. <laughs> cannot use one funnel. It is three funnels. All right. Definitely what are those three, three funnels? funnels? So three funnels are the prospecting funnel, which is strangers that have never heard from you before, they have no idea who you are. Those are strangers becoming no longer strangers, right? right? So these are folks that now know who you are. They maybe they haven't showed you an active buying signal, but they're like opening emails, they sort of identify who you are as a provider, right? 99% of the the clients that we bring on board do not own the entire TAM. So what I mean by that is do you own the email address of every human who can buy from you and the answer is usually no
0: right <laughs> yeah. so
1: we have to take it's, these humans. it's scary
0: if it's yes <laughs> well, i mean if you have it
1: then you're crushing it because most of our clients don't, even the big ones they don't right they have a small subset of the tam and they don't really know what it means to go and acquire the tam either so we walk them through that but these individuals who are in your total addressable market but have no idea who you are need to go from unknown to known so that's sort of step one that's the first funnel the prospecting funnel once you've identified that they know who you are then it's a nurture game right? It's the nurture funnel. So this is the middle funnel. This is where we spend 99% of our time, right? This is email nurture sequences, working with the sales team to make sure they're following up quickly, sending the appropriate messaging to the appropriate person, right? We've got buying committees and all kinds of sexy stuff that happen inside the CRM. This is the the real demand gen or revenue operations nuts and bolts comes into this phase or this funnel. And then lastly is customer. So once you get to the bottom of the nurture funnel and you become a customer, there is a customer funnel, cross sell, upsell for tech companies, renewal, right? A whole bunch of stuff has to happen against the customer funnel. And so we believe that you market very differently to someone who has no idea who you are, right? Very cold record, cold lead then you do a customer. Super different marketing. And if you think about them all in one funnel, it's just going to sort of get things all muddled together. So we break them up and we decide what funnel is this particular human in? What where what what funnel is this company in? And how do we market to these people depending on where they are in our buying process?
0: I love it. So prospecting funnel, that's taking strangers and making them at least Acquaintances or friends. That's right, Then, that, 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 then uh, the nurture funnel is where you spend most of your time. I love that too. Is in the past when I made just phone calls and somebody said, "Yeah, you know, you had a nice conversation with them, but they're not giving you any freight." And you go, "God, that that's a big opportunity." And they're testing out somebody. Maybe they don't work out. I don't want to just not call them right for a while. This is a perfect opportunity for the nurture funnel and. I'll throw one other thing out there, and it it occurs to me all the time when I get emails from people. I get on email lists, everybody does, and you get on those email lists for good reason because they had something you wanted to learn a little bit about. But there's a difference between the B2B sales and the emails that you get and the ones you want from a prospective 3PL or a tech company. And the ones like when I buy something online uh, from a a store – they'll send you stuff over and over and over and over again and, or if you show any interest they just they bombard you cuz they know you're going to buy in the next 24 hours cuz were looking at you're know, you looking at men's t-shirts and all of a sudden I'm going to get a million emails about that until they figure within 48 hours he's going to buy men's t-shirts it's yeah, different so, with this i mean
1: essentially we have taken the best of b to c which is really intent being able to see what people are doing, al- algorithmic programmatic media buying, which is way beyond what any of your listeners need to know about, but like this very sophisticated retargeting engine. So if you've ever gone to Amazon and looked for a phishing pole, and then that fishing pole follows you around the internet for a while, taking all of these things that B2C oh, yeah. marketers have perfected and using them in the B2B environment. What's amazing about the B2B environment is the access to data. I know everything about you, Joe. I know everything about you. I'm a little creepy about it. It's okay. <laughs> like I'm owning my creepiness. Just don't
0: tell but, anybody. <laughs> yeah, but I know
1: where you live. I know your office location. I know sometimes depending on the company, I know your last annual report. Your CEO has told the marketplace what he's going to do in the next 12 months. Like I've got reports on finance and I I can see the things that you're doing, right? And right. so I can Put all of those into a prospectus inside my CRM, and then I can track your human activity against what you're looking for in the marketplace. And it's just wild what we can see these days.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny when I talk to people on the phone. I'm, I watch mostly YouTube, and I was talking to Flock Freight. I was talking to, or I had Orin land on my podcast. Great,
1: yeah, it's phenomenal. <laughs> Loved him at Manifest.
0: I describe his as a force of nature.
1: <laughs> he is amazing, and their B Corp stuff. I was I was blown away.
0: I saw him and Chris Pickett just for a second at uh, Manifest, but I remember talking to him, and then I went, sat down, was watching YouTube on my TV, and Flock Freight's commercial pops up as the commercial on, and I was like, "By the way, they they I think they have an award winning um, commercial. If you guys haven't already looked, maybe I'll look and put it in the show notes, but." It's funny, I, I saw it only a few times and I was thinking, yeah, that th- I should only see it a few times. I'm not a shipper. I'm a podcaster. So I saw it, it was great, but I guess what's interesting about that retargeting is there's a jewelry company by my house that has been showing me a commercial for six months. And I always think, your target's bad because I'm not buying jewelry. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not getting engaged. And it's all about getting engaged. Getting engaged yeah. is like...
1: Well, they don't know, it, Joe. Maybe you are going to get engaged. There. Maybe they know. Some, they, uh, <laughs> they're hedging their bets. <laughs> yeah,
0: they're like, we know something Maybe you don't know. Else our, in your house
1: our, is googling engagement rings. <laughs> yeah, the the data
0: tells us you're wrong, Joe. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about your philosophy. We talked about the three funnels, and uh, you were big before we hit record, saying, "Measure, measure, measure." Yeah. How most uh, and uh, not and this isn't even me mean. I was a content marketer, which means I wrote a lot of articles and this is content marketing what we're creating today. I was never huge into the into HubSpot or anything like that which is how you measure. So talk about how you guys measure and what that means.
1: So we measure everything. While we are a marketing shop, we don't do any creative. So I want to let your audience know We are not the shop to call. If you want a new logo, we are not the shop to call. If you want a new website, your website's probably fine by the way, don't spend a bunch of money fixing it. It's probably just fine. And we measure everything. So we measure three things specifically and they sort of turn up in different ways. So we measure volume, velocity and value and really inside each of these three funnels right? So if you can, in your mind, picture the three different funnels that we have. So we have the prospecting funnel, the nurture funnel, and the customer funnel. We then track volume of leads, the value of each lead, and the velocity that lead moves through the pipeline or customer, right, at all three phases of this funnel. And they can show up in different ways. So volume can show up as transactional versus enterprise, right? So transactional versus RFP, you know, contracted freight, velocity can show up as top of funnel to middle of funnel Delta. So like how fast are they getting to the middle of the funnel and volume can show up as anything from like top of funnel, Google marketing leads delivered all the way to the way that a customer is renewing before the end of the contract engagement, right? So these show up in different ways mql to sql deltas we do a ton of math so much math in our in our practice but usually nine times out of 10 it is something showing volume velocity and value in all three funnels and that then helps us deliver board ready math for our clients so whether you are pe backed and you've got Board meeting once a quarter or VC backed, and you're meeting with your board every month. They want to see what's happening, right? They want to see show me top of funnel, show me what's happening with the buying cycle, show me what's happening with current customers. And if you break it down this way, we can literally put a slide together for prospecting engine, for the nurture engine, and for the customer cross sell engine, and then show volume, velocity, and value metrics against each. It's a really easy way for us to come up with a set of KPIs that the marketer or the sales leader can then sort of show up the funnel or up their organization.
0: Yep. And you know, I like when you talk about velocity or the sales cycle. I've run across this working with people in the, in the past where they say, we really want to get more strategic business, contract business with this kind of company. And they're larger companies that already have a 3PL. And so you can start looking and talking to all of those companies. That is a much longer sales cycle than saying, Can I have two lanes? And for a long time I felt like there was no there was no difference in the way they did sales marketing for getting the biggest client and getting one load.
1: We still this is still a challenge that we face. We we definitely face even in our bigger clients a one size fits all approach.
0: Yeah. And so if somebody says to you, Hey Kara, I I heard you on Joe he is so smart. I love that guy. And you were good too. Loves that. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, help us get one of those twenty thousand shippers that that is five hundred million in sales. And you say, Oh, okay, well, we, we can help you. Those companies typically already have, if they're doing twenty five to fifty million in logistics spend every year, they might already have a number of people working with them. They that.
1: all do. Let's let's be real, Let's Joe. face it. They're moving the freight. They're grow. moving freight. Yeah. And the only way to grow in 2023 is going to be to take market share from others. There's no new market share being created in 2023. The last two years is different, but coming into this year.
0: So the problem you might have is if they say, give me that, I want that $500 million, those, those, those 20,000, that's, and maybe what they're used to is getting the smaller guys. They, we do a whole bunch of mom and pop business. Well, there's a lot of small companies that do a lot of freight. That is where you're gonna say that is a much longer sales cycle because those, those 3PL contracts or the technology contract or whatever contract comes up once a year or once every two years. So you're not just going to be put on a list and then a month or two, they're gonna call you. And so it's a much more sophisticated and a much longer sales cycle. So there is no one size fits all on that.
1: Agreed. Agreed. I think the ability that we have now using technology to split your ideal customer profile. So oftentimes we'll split. So, hey, these 10 billion plus are going to be super long sales cycles, right? Although contracts are getting shorter, (laughs) So shippers are getting smarter. Six month, maybe even three month contracts. Three months are really hard for carriers to, to execute, but like they're getting sort of more aggressive about shorter shorter term contracts. So you're gonna see these come up a lot more often, right? The shifting is gonna come up a lot more often, but on the small business or transactional freight, it's all about, are you in the right place at the right time? And can I get the shipment done today, right? So it is a, definitely a two tiered and two pronged approach and we, we separate them.
0: Yeah, and by the way, I have a lot of people talk about transportation management systems on my podcast. All and, the
1: time, yeah.
0: And some of them say, we sell to shippers. So I want those shippers who currently might work with a number of carriers or 3PLs, we want to sell directly to the shippers. Others say, I sell to the 3PLs and the brokers. Ah. And some do all three, but you have to recognize if you're doing all three, they all buy differently. They all buy on different time schedules. For
1: sure. So you
0: have to start to split those up into those customer segments. And that is where I think some companies get in trouble with their, their probably coming from a one size fits all when they get to your house, right?
1: Yeah. I think the, the, if I could give someone advice, right, like they're going to become a customer and I could give them advice. I would say before you interact with someone like me be very clear on who your customer is not who you want your customer to be not your aspirational customer but your actual ideal customer profile and be honest about it like be really honest with me or any service provider who's going to help you with this because if you inflate the you know number of lanes or you inflate the number of loads or you inflate what you think your what you think you want your icp to be we won't be successful right? Because we're going to be targeting sort of over, right? You know, I just, I just played golf last weekend and we played this silly game and I got no points if I hit the ball too far, right? When I hit the ball really far and I was like, look at me go! And I got no points because we were playing some silly game. The point is to get it to the pin, right? And the (laughs) pin may not be 400 yards away. The pin may be 20 yards away. And that's the goal, right? What is the pin? If you, if everyone's going for the targets of the world, if everyone's going for Nordstrom, But that's not actually your ideal customer profile right then you're not we won't be successful right and then be honest about the actual deltas right and most clients we talk to don't know the delta how many top of funnel how many middle of funnel and how many bottom of funnel and a lot of folks especially in the last two years have gotten really good at operations crushing operations because they had to in the last two years, and they have let the sales engine sort of die, right? And so we have to sort of restart this. We got to pour some gas in. We got to turn the engine back on. We have to get people back into the habit of closing new logos, not just operating the freight that gets put into your TMS, right? And that's that's been a big challenge. And then if you do that, if you're if you're restarting the sales engine, what was your ideal customer profile in 2019 and how has it changed in 2023? Cause they're so different in the, after the last two years.
0: Yeah. I remember being at a company and um, they were working with a company and they said, this is a number of years ago and they said, well, how can we, how can we get so-and-so and so-and-so to work with us? And I was like, well, let me just, I went, I said, let's look over your customer list. And we look over their customer list and, I know I went to the who's the top 10 customers and you get look at the top 10 customers, you get a real good sense for who they, who appreciates what they do. Yeah. And then, and then I would say, where did you get each one of these? Who Who yes. won, who won yes, this business? Yeah, How did they find you?
1: How did we, re- how do we replicate this? Yeah.
0: yeah. And what was crazy though is. It seemed like you couldn't replicate it because it was like, well, there was an old sales guy here. He wasn't very good, but that's his uncle made the call. and Now he doesn't work at the company more. You're like, all right, so we got to hire a whole bunch of people who have uncles who are shippers. Is that what you're (laughs) telling me? (laughs) But that's a good start. So if somebody, if if you work with Karen and she says, who is your target market? You might say, if you're doing okay, hey, I've already got this much money coming in, and I've been working really well with retailers, not the biggest retailers, the tier two retailers, but the tier one of my book.
1: (laughs) Well, all the way back to the beginning of the podcast, Joe, you and I both made a comment about someone saying to us, don't you want to leave supply chain and go to another market? And you and I both said, like, why would I do that? This is an enormous space. I feel the same way about the customers that come to me and say, I want to do the next thing right? Yes. If you are the best at mid-market retail e-com delivery, own it, right? <laughs> own it, go get every single mid-market retail e-com. Like there's no reason to try to go up market or or down market, frankly. Just own what you're really good at.
0: And I've said this before. Your website can say just that. We work with mid-size yeah. e-com, right? And mid-size companies that are do e-com or retail, whatever. Whatever your specialty is. And then if somebody else calls you and says, hey, I know you don't specialize in what we do, can you do this for us? You can still sure. say yes.
1: Yeah, of course you can. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to put sure, it on your we website. Do too, right? Like... <laughs> But I, I think you and I are saying the same thing, which is if you are the best at something, that's that's that changing. You're the best
0: at it. That's changing. I feel like the whole industry is starting to say, I want a niche. And by the way, it makes it so much easier. Whatever you're doing is if you, I can make a call to Kara and say, hey, please work with, uh, uh, I'd really like to work with you. I know you're a retailer and we already work with Target and we work with Dollar General and we work with uh, Bed Bath & Beyond. And we know the problems that they have, and I think you have similar problems. That's a lot better than saying, "Hi, Kira, this is Joe, and we specialize in shipping, and right. uh, whatever you ship, we are we'll experts it. in it." The <laughs> worst thing that
1: I that we hear when we get into a client and we start these discovery conversations is, "Who is your customer?" Anyone that ships like that everybody. is everybody. Yeah,
0: not, is yeah. Just when, not true. I say it on my podcast all right. the time. If you say you're everything to everyone, you're probably no one to everyone.
1: Yeah. <laughs> And everybody's okay. got the niche, right? Like, it's it's part of the lead coverage value prop. Like, we only do supply chain. So when we get on the phone and Will talks about his background from Manhattan, right, and all the things that he learned from the tech perspective early on in his career, and I talk about Echo and OHL and all the things that I did early in my career, they're like, oh, you get it. Get us. You get us. Okay. You, get us. <laughs> you totally get what we're talking about. We can hire you and we don't have to tell you the difference between LTL and LCL. And not only that, we can tell you what's happening in the marketplace. We can share what your what your competitors are also sharing with the marketplace because we're in it every single day. It's not ten percent or twenty percent of our business, it is a hundred percent of our business. And that's what your clients want to hear. Your clients wanna hear I am the best possible resource for you to solve these problems because I have ten other clients that do exactly right. what you do and we've solved these problems for them.
0: Yeah. I specialize in solving your kind of problem. Yeah.
1: And here are four examples.
0: So I want to wrap this bad boy up. Give us some final thoughts on what lead gen in logistics can and should be.
1: Gosh, we talked about so much. I think I'm going to go back to the very beginning. And maybe we was ta- we were talking about this before we hit record. There are many, many groups that will create content for logistics, right? There are wonderful, wonderful content creators in the space. And we partner with them. But the measurement of that content and the measurement of the impact of that content is more important than the content itself. And so whether you're creating podcasts, blog posts, really great, sexy white papers, indexes, etc., if you can't measure how much that content is putting back into your funnel or helping someone move through the funnel, you're missing the most important component of, demand gen. And so that's probably the thing I'll leave behind is if you're not getting math from your marketer or your marketing agency that shows you the ROI of the content they're delivering, something's broken, right? And ideally, that measurement is in the form of volume, velocity, and value in some sh- some way, shape, or form. So that would be my, my big takeaway. Yep.
0: And that can, I, I love the way Blythe said it, connecting the digital dots. Yes,
1: for sure. Yeah, and, and again, it's most so of us don't
0: have that. We have, yeah, it is complicated and that's why it doesn't get done. That's why we have little little silos of information, little silos of value that we provide, we it, but they're uh, not connected.
1: We call it random acts of marketing. Exactly. So if you're, if that you're is deciding, brilliant. That is so brilliant. Silly. If you're deciding to go to a trade show two weeks before the trade show, that is a random act of marketing. <laughs> like, Random acts of marketing are not measurable and... Maybe you'll get something out of them. You probably won't. Like, it's just most people that we talk to are executing random acts of marketing that are not measurable.
0: Yep, yep. All right, well, I always like to interview smart interesting people like you can you please suggest some smart interesting person i should have on my podcast
1: i will and i was so grateful to charlie safrino for for keeping it in the female cs CS recruiting cs recruiting hardcore plug for charlie she's amazing
0: charlie suggested i interview you and i'm glad she did
1: she did. Thank you to Charlie. Keeping it in the female world because there are very few of us in the supply chain that are running companies that are women. I'm gonna, I'm gonna recommend you talk to Amanda Bull. She is a dear, dear friend. Also Chicago native. Actually, she's from Michigan. You two will have tons to talk about. Yeah, right. uh, Yeah, she is from Michigan. Lives in Chicago, and uh, we go way back to uh, our days at Seco together. She's amazing. You will love talking to her. She's super And what super does she smart. do? She is the CEO of Primus, which is brokerage TMS for small brokers. And I'll let you, I'll let her tell you. I will talk to her. I
0: I have not heard of Primus, and I look forward to learning about it. There's always a new TMS to learn about.
1: Yeah, there's for sure another one around the corner all the time. Yeah.
0: So thank you so much for being on my podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time, and I love what you had to say. Again, I think I'm not just saying this because you're on my podcast. I really do feel like if you don't have someone like Kara in your corner, you need to get someone like Kara in your corner because it is complicated and there is technologies and it it feels like in the last 10 years, this has become so much more sophisticated. It used to be, Oh, we did a webinar and that's our marketing. We've got a hundred names and we do a webinar once a month. That was yesterday. Today it is so much more sophisticated and connected and, and I think it's more valuable than ever before. And I, but it has to be done by the right people. It's just like anything else. It's just the, the sophistication and the the value has increased.
1: Yeah. Well, we're happy to share too. We I post to LinkedIn probably two or three times a week. Sometimes it's just about being a woman in business, <laughs> but a lot of times it's about best practices and things that we're hearing and learning in the space. So we are open and happy to have chats even with folks that aren't looking to buy from us just to share best practices we like to educate as much as you know to work for really good people
0: yep thank you so much what i'll do is i'll put a link to your linkedin profile i'll also put a link to your website and anything else your marketing team gives me (laughs) and what conferences will we see you guys at
1: yeah so we will be at tia we'll be at promat we'll be at cscmp We'll probably be at Inland. Will and I can measure <laughs> our own lead delivery from every trade show we go to. So you'll see it. us at Manifest next year, TPM next year. I will see you at Manifest show. next yeah. year. I'm <laughs> getting
0: ready for that. Do you go to TSMA?
1: I will be at TMSA. TMSA, yes. Love that one. Savannah this year.
0: That's in Savannah in June? See you June? at the
1: Savannah Bananas, Joe. That's
0: I will be, so be there. I will be there. I just, <laughs> Excellent. I just talked to Jennifer. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this you taking really the time. great.
1: Thanks for your time, Joe. Appreciate it very much. Have a good one. Yep.
0: And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.